Thanks, everybody. I really, really appreciate uh, to be able to open God's word with you. Um, um, let's open in prayer, and then um, I'd like us to stand. We're going to read the whole portion of Psalms 119 today, starting in verse 49. But let, let's bow our head and ask for the Lord's help here. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. There's no other name under heaven by which we can approach you to. We're so thankful for the name of Jesus. We're so thankful for the cross and that it's him that makes us uh, righteous, not ourselves. I pray tonight as we broke open the word that I would get out of your way, that we would preach your word, that your word would open our ears and our eyes. I pray that you'd give us ears and hearts to receive your word tonight. And Lord, may your will be done tonight in the lives of all of us men here tonight, that we might draw closer to you. In Jesus' blessed name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Stand with me, and starting in verse 49 of Psalms 119, and we'll honor God's word. I think it's going to be up on the screen also. Verse 49, the psalmist says, Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promises give me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs. In the house of my sojourning, I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing is fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promises. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am accompanied, I'm a companion of all who fear you and those who keep your precept. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. As Butch always says, may God bless the reading and the teaching of his word. Let me ask you this question. I can remember it. It was probably 1973. I was a senior in high school. I'd received Christ um, uh, earlier that spring, uh, coming out of my junior year. Um, I was getting ready to go into high school. Um, a person who led me to the Lord gave me the word of God. Um, and I remember uh, opening up one day in Goodyear Heights in this park up there, and um, uh, I couldn't understand it. I, I can remember it, it, it didn't. I was reading, of course, it was a King James Version at the time, and it said, begot, begot, begot. I didn't understand what begot was at all at the time. And I was raised Catholic. I never heard the Word of God, never read the Bible in my life before, never heard the gospel until I was 17 years old. My mother had passed away that fall, and then in the winter of 74, my uncle, who we lived next door to, he passed away of cancer. And my aunt had asked me to come over to her house and watch it as she went to the visiting hours so when people came to drop off food that I would be there to pick up the food. I said, sure, Aunt Sylvia, I'd be glad to do that for you. 
And I remember sitting in her comfy chair, and to the side of her comfy chair, there was this uh, pouch that held the Bible. And for the first time, I felt like, no, nobody's here. My dad's not going to yell at me for reading the Bible. And I remember opening up to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and it said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was not God. Then it went down and said that he came into the world, you know, he was the light of the world. And for the first time of my life, the Word of God jumped out of these pages, and it impacted me. From that day forward, I started reading the Bible, and scripture after scripture came alive. You're looking at someone in high school that never read anything. I think I did a, a book report on The Godfather, the 10th grade, 11th grade, and 12th grade, because I saw the movie 100 times. In my family, it was a religious family, so we would watch it all, a religious movie, I mean. Okay, I never read anything. And when I started reading the Word of God, my family thought I was crazy. They go, where'd you learn this stuff at? Of course, they all got mad at me. And my question to you, do you remember the day you first opened up God's Word and it jumped out of the pages to you? The Bible says in Hebrews that the Word of God is quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It even goes to the piercing between the soul and the spirit. It means it goes way down into the parts. And in this room tonight, we all have these parts where we're hiding. It's deep down inside of us. It's way down inside. And only God's word can pull it out of us. Do you remember that day? Did it impact your life? Did you understand it? Did it change your life? And that's what we find here in Psalms 119, that the psalmist in this chapter is showing us how the word of God made an impact on his life. And I hope tonight that when we leave here, that it just isn't another men's study or that was a great mill or it was a good fellowship, but that the word of God would impact our life, that we might change those around us with the same word of God that's impacted our life. So as we look at the scripture, I'd like to look at verse 49 and 50 with me first. All right, The psalmist says, remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in what? My affliction that your promises give me life. Okay, now when you see this portion of scripture, the first thing we see here is the psalmist says to God, Lord, remember your word. Now, do you think God forgot his word? You know, as he writes the psalm, is the psalmist saying, Lord, I think you forgot your word. Remember, you promised me this, and I want you to remember your word again. And God's not up in heaven saying, oh, I don't remember saying that. Okay, now, God wants us to pray this way. I don't know about you. Uh, praying is one of the hardest things to do as a Christian, I think. You know, a lot of times you'll tell someone, hey, I'll pray for you, and then they'll call you the next day. Hey, thanks for praying for me. Uh, my results came back, and I'm thinking, I forgot to pray for them. You know, should I tell them, hey, I really didn't pray for you. I'm sorry, you know. But it's hard to pray. But what I've learned that when I pray, if I pray back God's word to him, if I say, Lord, you said in the Gospel of Matthew, they who seek shall find. Lord, I'm seeking. You promised me if I sought you, I would find you. You said, they who knocks on the door, it'll be open to them. Lord, I'm knocking on the door today. Please open the scriptures to me. You said, they who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. That's a promise in, in Matthew 5, we, one of the evidences of true salvation, that we hunger for a righteousness that's not of our own self but it's of God. Jesus promised they would be filled. And this is how God wants us to pray. He wants us to bring back his promises to him. When, when we do this, 
The first thing we find, if you look what the psalmist says, remember your words to your servant in which you have made me hope. I was just talking to Rick Kippens before uh, service dinner tonight, and I was uh, two of the guys I'm discipling. They were asking me about the Jesus movement in the 70s and how it took place. And I said to him, in the 60s, late 60s and 70s, there was no hope. I think the theme song for the 60s was, we're on the eve of destruction. And that's how we felt. We knew at any minute there was going to be an atomic bomb. And we begin to see the hippies out in, in California. We thought they had the answer. And then they were all burned out and there were an answer. But then there was a movement that took place in California where people started getting saved in this small church called Calvary Chapel. And it moved across the nation. And they shared the gospel everywhere. They sent real hope. And that's what the psalmist has shown us here. In your word, I find hope. Where? In the midst of what? My affliction. And notice that he calls it his affliction. I don't know what affliction you're going through tonight, but I got good news for you out of God's word that there's hope in that affliction. And we all have our own afflictions to carry. And it gives me, look what it says, new life or gives me life. What that word life means is refreshment. You ever been in a place where you are so drawn down and tired and beat on all different sides, and then all of a sudden God brings a brother or a sister into your life that shares the word of God with you and just grabs you and says, I've been praying for you, and you walk away from that moment thinking, wow, that person did not know I needed that today. And that's what God's word does. It brings us life and refreshment. Look with me at Isaiah 55, 6 through 11. says this, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now he tells us how to do it. Let the wicked forsake his way. It means that we're supposed to turn from our wicked ways. Okay? And the unrighteous man, his thoughts, and we're going to talk about our thoughts later tonight. Let him return to who? The Lord that he may have compassion on him. Now, I don't know about you. When I see this word compassion, I'm like, the Lord wants to throw compassion on me? Now, look at the next verse. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. How many need to be abundantly pardoned tonight? I, I do. I'm so glad the word's abundantly. Now, he goes into this next portion of Scripture. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. I remember when I came to the Lord, I'm thinking, he, he, he can't forgive me. You know, if, if everybody knew who I really was inside, they wouldn't let me in this building. Uh, the, the, the building will cave in if I go to church. But God is a God of abundant pardon. I don't care where you've been, what you've done, how dark it's been, how deep a sin it was. He is a God of abundant pardon. And if we return, if we get rid of our wicked ways, if we try to, to renew our mind, how do we get rid of our, our wicked thoughts? Well, Romans tells us, be not conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And how do we do that? Through the word of God. See, my thinking is messed up, guys. If you could get in my brain, you would just shake your head. I shake my head a lot. But I have to stay in God's word to keep this brain in line with truth thinking what is truth. 
He goes, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. I don't forgive like you, you forgive. My ways are not your ways, declares who? The Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than you. When Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer, the very first thing he opened up with is he said, our Father, which is where? Art in heaven. See, we need to be reminded on a daily basis that he is up here and we are down here. The Bible says he gives grace to who? The humble. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so God says, my ways are higher than yours. My thoughts are not your thoughts. For as the rain and snow comes down from heaven and does not return there, but the water, the earth, making it bring forth sprout or fruit, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Now, verse 11, so shall my word that goes out of my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose it and shall succeed in the thing that I send it to or send it in or send it. Um, that's what happened to me that night in my aunt's living room. The word of God came out. I remember one day I was hitchhiking up to Chapel Hill in Goodyear Heights and these Jesus freaks or Jesus people picked me up and they started witnessing to me. And I said, well, you know, I mean, I don't know if that Bible's true and I don't understand this and I don't understand that. And I'll never forget this day they said to me, your brain is like a pea rolling down a four-lane highway compared to God's. And then they read me this scripture. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And I remember getting out of that car, and I felt like I got hit by a ton of bricks. Probably for the first time in my life, I began to see who God really was, and I began to see who I wasn't. And that's what the psalmist is showing us here in Isaiah, that we can find in God's word hope and life. On your papers, it's, we got it written out. In God's word, we find hope and life. Tonight, if you're looking for true life, the scripture above us says that he'll give you life abundantly. And it's not what the uh, health and wellness people talk about. But it's a life that's deep inside your heart that it just flows from you. Second verse I want you to see is in verse 51 and 52 of Psalms. He says, um, The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from old, I take comfort. We see God's comfort in times of lawlessness. The past couple years, the political arena has been crazy. I, 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 like I said, I grew up in the 60s. I remember the Chicago 7. I remember Kennedy getting killed. I remember Robert Kennedy getting killed. I remember Martin Luther King getting killed. I remember the riots in Chicago. I remember Cleveland. They were burning down uh, up there. I think it was called the HUD or something like that. I remember all those riots and lawlessness, but never in my life have I seen, like we've seen in the past two or three years, the lawlessness and hopelessness that I see in our country than before. But I also know we are in the most ripest time to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a world that's looking for true hope. Our politicians, who can you trust? Is there a man out there that we can really look to and say I could follow that guy? On both sides of the table, you can't. 
Christ is the only answer for our country. Jesus, the gospel, is the only thing that's going to change. And we as a church have got to understand that. And the psalmist is saying the same thing here. He was being mocked for trusting God's word. Our children that are going to our liberal colleges, Kent State, Akron U, or wherever you're sending them to, okay, their, their professors are attacking this word of God. I, I pray for our youth pastors I think our youth pastors should be the highest paid pastors in the church. Butch and Bruce won't agree with that, but I think so. Because believe it or not, they are on the front lines. And if we as parents or grandparents don't teach our kids the word of God, and you expect Eric and Brian to do it, it's not going to happen. Eric and Brian can only support what you're teaching at home. But when they get to the college level, Those professors are going to try to destroy their belief system. And if it isn't rooted and grounded in God's word, they're going to walk away from the word of God. And it's so important. And that's what the psalmist was writing here. He was being mocked for trusting God's word. But in the midst of his mocking, in verse 52, you see that he says um, um, that he would not turn away from his law. What happens to you when people make fun of you for believing the word of God? I've had people see me read the Bible. They go, you believe that? And I'm like, every dot and cross of the T, I believe it. And they laugh at me, but they don't know the impact it's had on my life and your life. And in the midst of the mocking, we do not need to turn away from his law. And then he says, we see here that he was faithful, he was persistent, and he found comfort in God's word. Now, my question to a lot of us tonight, When the world's caving in on you and you feel like you're all alone and you're not going to make it, where do you find comfort? Is it in the bottle? Uh, I I have told you my testimony before. I grew up drinking at a very young age. There's no comfort in that bottle. Tomorrow morning I have to face the same problem there. Is it in drugs? Is it in pornography? And, And I'm telling you guys, Pornography is destroying the men in America today, just destroying us. Okay, and there isn't a man in this room that struggles with, doesn't struggle with lust. If you sit here and tell me you don't, we can sit down and talk about it, okay? But it is destroying us today. And I'm not just talking buying Playboy or getting on the internet. Stuff. Our, the commercials, the TV shows that you watch, watching football. It's just bombarding us with pornography. And, and so where do you turn for comfort? Is it in those things? Because it doesn't satisfy. Comfort is only found in God's word. Our second point tonight is we will find real comfort in God's word. And that's what the psalmist found in that scripture. Um, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, the, the, uh, uh, Solomon wrote, Trust in the Lord with what? all your heart. What does that mean? Uh, Nathan Eckberg sometimes will sing when he leads worship, I surrender all. And I always pull him aside, don't sing that song. And he goes, why? I says, because there ain't a person in the church that surrenders all, okay? Maybe we could sing I surrender 25% or 10%, okay? Some Sundays maybe 30. But the scripture where it says I surrender all, it means everything you're hiding. You know, and sometimes, I don't know about you, I don't want to bring it out to the Lord. When conviction hits me, when the Holy Spirit begins to tell me, Rick, 
That's got to stop. I want to run from God. But the truth is, the Bible wants me to trust him with every area of my heart. The things that I'm afraid of, the things that Satan's hit me with, the struggles in my family, the struggles in my life. He wants me to surrender it all. He says, trust me with all your heart. And then he tells me this, don't lean to what? Your own understanding, your own thinking. Don't listen to those voices in your head that are telling you lies. And then he says, in all your ways, how do you do this? Acknowledge him. That means don't be ashamed of the gospel. That means at work, we should be working unto the Lord. That means whatever we do in food or drink or if, what, how we eat, it should be unto the Lord. In every way, you should acknowledge him. And he will what? He'll make your path straight. He'll lead your life. So we find true comfort only when we, in God's word. Now, verse 53 through 56, it says, Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This is blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. What we find here in verse 53, strength to endure in dark times. The psalmist in verse 53, he was angry. You're starting to see the political ads come up, and there's this one ad that every time it comes on, I just, I get angry. It shows this nurse, and she comes out, and she says, um, I made an oath to you know, to um, do medicine right and make healthy. And she, she says, the governor of Ohio wants to eliminate abortion and put a woman's body at risk. And I'm thinking, your oath is to, to keep life. The baby in the womb is as important as the woman outside the womb. And I get angry because of this bombarding of false teaching and lies. And that's what the psalmist says. He's angry at those who forsook God's law. They lead other people straight. But in verse 51, he says, even in the midst of dark times, God's word has him a song. Uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty proud of my son, Sean. He's the worship leader in our church. Um, and I, you know, I'm honored. You probably can see it when I play with him on Sunday. I have this big smile on my face, you know. I'm so thankful that God has allowed me to do this with my son. But I have to tell you about my son. He has a strong, strong conviction of God's word. Matter of fact, I'll share something with you later tonight that he called me on him on before I preached, okay? Um, I have a video I got to show you, and he called me out on it. And Sean will not do any song that's not scriptural. Now, there's a lot of songs we sang in this church that Sean has eliminated, and you're probably wondering, why aren't we singing that song anymore? Well, see, one of our purposes at Maranatha, our main purpose, is to glorify God, okay, and teach his word correctly, okay? But one of our, our main goals to do it is to teach correct theology everywhere, in children's ministry, in, in junior high, senior high, in college, in men's ministry, in women's Bible studies. And if we're teaching or reading a book that doesn't correct up the correct theology, our goal is to get it out. Don't do it. Well, Sean will not sing any song from churches like Bethel or uh, Hillsong or um, 
uh, I can't think of the other ones, because of the heresy that they teach. And if you don't believe it, go online and type in and you'll see the heresy that they teach. And so there's nothing better than when we are in his trial to sing God's word. And we want to sing scripture because it teaches us theology. It teaches us correct theology. When Paul and Silas were in the Philippian jail, what were they doing? They were singing hymns and spiritual songs. What did, if you look at David's psalms, some of his best psalms ever written was in dark times of his life. And God wants us to sing his word. He wants us to sing truth. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. If we're singing air or if we're teaching air, we're not going to be set free, brothers. And it's so important that we sing truth, and we need to sing God's word. In verse 55, he says this, I remember your name. Let me make sure I'm telling you. He said, I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. Um, uh, Look at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. It says, the name of the Lord is what? A strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Uh, The name of the Lord is, is so powerful. Um, today, uh, Sue Brick, one of our cooks, who she, she cooked everything up tonight, she pulled me inside and said, Rick, I've been praying for you. She knows there's some trials in my life that's going on. And she quoted me Psalms 23. It was amazing. If she would have gave it to me earlier this week, I would have included it in the sermon. But it talks about the names of God and what it means. And as she quoted Psalms 23 and quoted Uh, the names of God with it, it just opened up Psalms 23 like I'd never seen before. Erica Kursak and my daughter Shannon have a ministry here that is for, um, uh, it's called Grace and Beauty, and it's for women who lost their sons or, or, or lost their baby in the womb or lost a child. Okay, but Erica, and if you could see these cards, they're amazing. She made up for these women, these cards, the name of the Lord. Okay, Jehovah what you know whatever she put it on there and each name she put under it when you're feeling alone and then she shows you the name of the gods in in the hebrew and then she explained exactly what it means and then she put a psalm on the back of the card well she doesn't know it but i hung every one of them up in my office and if I'm having bad days, I pull that card up. And I think if we could have them pass around tonight, it'd be an amazing thing. What does it mean that God's name is a strong tower? It means that we can trust in his name. It's in his name that we turn to God. It's in the name of Jesus that we're forgiven of our sins. And the psalmist said here, we can find strength and blessing. Where? In God's word, in tough times. That's point three. Then look at verses 57 through 58. He says, the Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I enter your favor with all my heart. Be gracious according to me to your promise. What we see here is the psalmist is satisfied with the Lord. The Lord is his portion. When God appeared to Abraham, He said, I am your shield. I'm your great reward. He is our great treasure. All we need is him. Now, let me ask you this question. When you're tempted, when you're tempted to 
do that, that sin that you know that you always run to, uh, and then after over, you just feel like garbage, and you find yourself in front of God, and, and you're, you're confessing your sin to him. What is it that you think will satisfy you more than the God of the universe? Paul told us in Timothy that godliness with what? Contentment is what? Great gain. Knowing the creator of the universe is better than all the riches of the world. Look at Matthew 13, 4 through 6, 40, 44 through 46 with me. The Gospel of Matthew says this. Jesus is giving parables here. And he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered it up. Then, in his joy, he goes and look at this. He sells what? All. What are you hanging on to? All. That he has, and what does he do? He buys that field. And then the second part of that parable, Jesus shows another one. And the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. You guys, Jesus is that pearl. There's a, a song by Gary Chapman that my wife and I used to sing all the time. My kids always joke me, joke to me at my funeral, they're gonna sing it, okay? But it says, Jesus is my treasure on this road I'm, I'm traveling. He's my treasure in this life. Jesus will be my treasure when I die. He is the most valuable thing of heaven. He's the most valuable of us. And when we put anything before God, we, we think it's going to be better than God. And it won't. Even when you choose to place, what is it you choose in place of God is less than God. Let me say that again. Whatever it is we choose that we think is better than God, in reality, it's less than God. What we need to see, though, to do this is in verse 58. Be gracious to me according to your promises. You guys, we can't make Jesus our treasure. We can't make him the most important thing in our life unless we have God's grace to do it for us. Point four, we must seek God with all our heart and we find him, he'll meet our needs. I think that when we seek God with all our hearts, we find that he will meet all, he is all that we need. And that's the truth, you guys, when we surrender all, we'll find out that he's all I really need. Now look at 59 um, through 60 with me. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. In Luke chapter 18, um, starting in verse 9 through 14, I'd like you to watch this portion of scripture with me. Jesus is talking about... Um, Two people that are praying. And this portion of scripture is about taking inventory in your life. When we take inventory in our life, guys, it's when true salvation takes place. When we really look and see who we really are, God can move in our life. But it's not until we do that. 
And he took inventory. He turned to God, and this was the turning of point salvation. He saw his ways and turned to God. Now look at verse uh, 9 of Luke 18. uh, He says, also, he told this parable of some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, and one was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you. I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like the tax collector over here. I threw, that's not in scripture, I threw that in. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector was standing far off and would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he was beating his chest or his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, what? A sinner. I tell you, Jesus said this, and they wanted to crucify him for this. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted first peter 5 says the same thing humble yourself under the mighty hand of god and he will exalt you in due time i heard alistair Begg say this on a clip and i i don't have the cool scottish scottish accent i have a good your heights accent and I'm sure if I was, I'm sure if I was in, in Scotland, um, they would like my Goodyear Heights accent. But I heard him say this about the thief on the cross. And what you need to see in this portion of scripture, the Pharisee is speaking in the first person. He's talking about me. And Alistair Begg said this, and some of you may have seen it, so it won't be anywhere as effective as he said it. He's talking about the thief on the cross. And he said, I wonder when that thief, Jesus promised him, today you'll be with me in paradise. When he got to heaven, he goes, I can't, and Alistair said, I can't wait to see that fella. He says, tell me what happened. And then Alistair begins to paint a picture of him standing there. Because he goes, can you imagine him walking up to the gate and the angel of the Lord is standing there? And he goes, uh, he, and Alistair says he uses the Florida uh, a question that we used to all use back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, if you die today, uh, what would be your answer to get into heaven? And Alistair said, if it's not in the second person, you're in trouble. If it's in the first person, I did, I did, I did, I did, you're in trouble. Alistair goes on to say that the, the, the angel says, well, what's your do- what, what do you believe on the doctrine of predestination? And the guy goes, I, 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 don't, I don't know what you're talking about. He says, what do you, what's, what do you believe about the word of God? Do you, do you believe the word of God is, is uh, perfect in all its ways? He goes, I've never even read the Bible. I don't know what you're talking about. And the angel said, well, let me go get my, my, my manager because I sure don't know what to do here. So the manager comes over and says, tell me, fellow, how did you end up here? He goes, I don't know. But all I can tell you is the man on the middle cross told me I was allowed to come. And brothers, if we come to God on 
I did this, or I preached here, or I played bass at Maranatha Bible Church, or I was an elder at Maranatha Bible Church, or I worked on a staff, or I memorized Psalms 119. It's the wrong answer. The right answer is because the man on the middle cross told me I was allowed to come. And real change only takes place, you guys, when we come to the place where we take honest inventory of ourselves and turn to God just like this guy. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And if you study the Gospels, I just love Jesus. I love Jesus with my whole heart. Anybody, the, the woman that got caught in the act of adultery, what did he say? Your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. He received her. In the Gospel of Luke, uh, when he gives the parable of the prodigal son, the Bible says the Pharisees noticed that he received sinners. That's good news. He received sinners. And Jesus loves sinners. Who are you trusting? Are you trusting in yourself? Or have you put your trust totally in Christ? And then the last part, true change happens when we take an ominous inventory of our lives and turn to God. Verse 61 and 62, it says, um, I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. Um, well, wait a minute, I'm sorry. I read the wrong verse. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. Verse 62. At midnight, I rise to praise you because you are righteous, because of your righteous rules. Uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, 15 through 17. I was getting ahead of myself. The Apostle Paul says here, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now he begins to make it clear what the difference is. Making the best use of your time, and this is what we see, the psalmist says, he said, in the midnight I sought you, I rose up and sought you and praised you, okay? Because the days are evil, we need to take good inventory of our time. Are you spending time in God's word? Are you you memorizing God's word? Are you hanging out with God's people? Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what is the will of the Lord is. Now, Paul begins to explain what God's will is. Do not get drunk with wine, for it is debauchery or sensual. But be filled with what? The spirit. Again, earlier we talked about true comfort. Don't turn to alcohol for comfort, you guys. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, he tells us how to be filled with the Spirit right after Addressing one another how? In Psalms, we're doing this tonight. With hymns, we do that on Sunday morning. Spiritual songs, singing, make melody where? In your heart. You guys, um, on Sunday morning, we should be louder than anybody. Uh, I, I love Dennis Shawhan's gang in the front row. Okay? I, I love those girls. Uh, and when we had them in first service, first service was the live service, and the second service was the dead service. And now that we switched times, 
Those girls are in the second service. It's changed dramatically. And first service has kind of went dead. And you know why? You know why those girls ain't ashamed to sing? Because too much is forgiven, much is loved. They know when Dennis said Sunday morning about, you know, 2% of the people that go through the program they're doing don't go back to jail. I don't know if you heard those girls, but I did. And they begin to hoop and holler. And a lot of times you may sit there and think, well, what are they hooping and hollering about? Well, my question to you is, why aren't we hooping and hollering? And that's what, that's what he's saying. Addressing another in psalms and hymns and spiritual song, making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in reverence for, for, in reverence for Christ. The passion for God's word takes place when we do that very thing. Be careful how you walk. Don't turn to worldly sources to give you comfort. Know God's will in your life. Come out of the things that you grew up doing, that you're stuck in that mold of constantly doing it, and turn to God, and don't be foolish in your understanding. Know what the will of the Lord is, and that's to... Uh, to know God. When we are passionate about God's word, we will find ourselves in his presence. Now, finally, in uh, verse 63 and 64, he says, I am a companion of all who fear you. Guys, you understand? Do you, who may fear the Lord here? How, how many of you fear the Lord? I want you to know, uh, six years ago, I had a heart attack. My uh, they call it the Widowmaker, was 100% blocked. I remember being in the back of the ambulance and they're giving me uh, nitroglycerin. And I knew the young man that was the, the uh, paramedic, he went to school with my son, Sean. And he was trying to make me distract um, uh, uh, what, what I was doing. And uh, he goes, hey, how's Sean doing, Mr. Clawley? And I said, well, he's working for Alice Cooper. And he goes, hey, he needs more nitroglycerin. Okay, he thought, I was, he thought I, was, I was crazy, and I began to share with him that Alice Cooper was a Christian. But I kept waiting at that moment for Jesus to kind of pull open the curtain. I'm in the back of that ambulance thinking, this is it. I'm not going to see my wife again. I'm not going to see my children. But the biggest fear wasn't that. It was the fear of the Lord. I was afraid to go into God's presence. But I knew my only hope was the man in the middle told me I could come. Brothers, we have fellowship one with another because we fear the Lord. Look at with me at the gospel, I mean the, the epistle of 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. John says this, This is the message we heard from you, from him, and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is what? No darkness at all. Now this is a strong verse. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, what Paul was talking about in Ephesians, in drunkenness or, or you know, doing all the things in the world, we lie and do not the truth. You're not in fellowship. And there's some of you here tonight, your fellowship is broken. You do not practice the truth. And here's that key word, but. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, what do we have? Isn't it amazing? Uh, 
I remember going with Esli Patch over to Moldova. These people spoke German. I spoke English. I, I didn't know one word in, in Russian except I'll be back. Okay? That's the only word I knew. All right? And they just looked at me like I was weird. Um, but we built this church together. People clear around the world that I never knew in my whole life. But they met the same Jesus Christ I met. Their sins were forgiven by the same Lord that my sins were forgiven. And it says they have, we have fellowship with one another, koinonia, and the blood of Jesus, his son, does what? Cleanses us from all sin. The King James Version says all unrighteousness. I don't know about you. I am so glad of that. This is the passion that leads to real fellowship. When we turn to God and we look for his great mercy, we have fellowship one with another. And his blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now, I debated on ending with this video. And um, um, I showed it to a couple people at church. You know, there's a lot of stuff we see online. We really can't believe it's true or not. But um, this is Dr. David Gibbs. I met him at Moody. He grew up in Cogga Falls. My in-laws uh, went to church with his mom and dad. When Rex Humbard had come to Akron, he built the Cathedral Marl. Some of you will remember that. Well, there was a people called Pearl and Dave Gibbs Sr. And they, when Dr. David Gibbs was a child, he went to his mom and said he had gotten saved. We need to start a Bible club here in Cogga Falls. And so in her neighborhood, she started a Bible club. And next thing they knew, they had over 250 kids in their garage, in their backyard, and they didn't know what to do. Well, Rex had come to him. He needed children's minister, and he hired them to be the children's ministers. My father-in-law, if he was here tonight, he would tell you that God used Pearl and Dave Gibbs to make that church grow because so many kids got saved under that ministry. Okay, well, David Gibbs is now, he works for CLE, uh, Christian Law Association. I met him at Moody. I talked to him. And this story that you're about to hear is a true story. Well, I thank God for my son, Sean. He called me out today. He said, Dad, that story's a little unbelievable. I said, I know. And he goes, did you ever find out if it was true? Because I Googled it, and I don't know if I could believe it's true. I said, you're right. So I went back to my office. I got online. I got their phone number. I called his office. His secretary answered the phone. And I said, ma'am, I know this is going to sound weird. I said, but um, I need to ask you a question. I said, I'm going to be sharing the word of God tonight. I'm going to be preaching about the truth of God's word. I saw this video of your boss and this airplane adventure. Um, is it true? And she said, yep, it happened just as he said. And she goes, do you want me to have him call you? I said, yeah, if he's got time, that would be great. Well, he hasn't called me back yet. He might call tonight. I'm not sure. But she said everything that happened is true. So I'd like you to watch this video and then I, and let God minister to you. And then I'd like to end and, and challenge our hearts. We're doing a lawsuit. We're way out in the Aleutian Islands, getting ready to leave and go back to Anchorage and then home. And I had a ticket in my pocket to get on an airplane. The pastor came up and he said, listen, I can save you money. I said, how's that? He said, I flew a small airplane up here. 
and I fly a small airplane, and I can take you in my little airplane, and you can save your ticket. And this did not sound, I said, gee, thank you so very, very much, but I've got this ticket. We'll just make our way on home, me and this other lawyer with me. He said, no, 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 you got to do it, you got to do it. And against every better judgment I had, I said, okay. Well, we went out to the airport, took us by his little plane, and I looked at it, and I thought, well, one good thing, it's shiny. Then he walked around it. We got in. He's on the left front. I'm on the right front. The other lawyer's sitting right behind me. And he started it up, and it started up just fine. Well, we taxied out. I said, should we pray? He said, yeah, that's a good idea. We normally don't. I said, well, this time we're going <laughs> to. And I'm telling you, I prayed five, eight minutes. I prayed a long time. We went and got on the runway. He starts down the runway. The plane lifted off ever so gently, and we start climbing. And it's wonderful. Not a problem in the world. We started climbing, and we flew probably three, four minutes. And something happened that will never leave my mind. The pilot turned to me and he said, we're going in the clouds and I can't fly in clouds. They make me pass out. I said, clouds make you do what? <laughs> now it's been cloudy all day. And we go right up into the clouds and you can't see anything. And he looks at me and his eyes roll back in his head and he starts mumbling and he passes out passed out cold. Now I grabbed him and I shook him and I said, come on, you got to wake up so I can kill you. Now we're in the clouds flying along with no pilot. And my friend in the back seat said, we're dead, aren't we? I said, there's a very good chance of that. Yes. He said, what are we going to do? I said, I don't know. But there was a radio right there and I handed him the microphone and I said, start asking for help. So he's in the back seat reaching up and he said, hello, hello. We didn't know any proper radio etiquette. All we were saying was hello. And somebody answered back, hello, hello. Don't you guys know proper radio etiquette? And I said, give it to me. I said, Tell, we don't know nothing. Tell him we're in an airplane with a passed out pilot and we don't know how to fly this plane. The guy said, I'm a freighter flying out of Anchorage on the way to Tokyo. And he said, you're telling me you have nobody who can fly that plane with you? I said, tell him that's correct. Now you gotta understand, I am sweating bullets. He said, the first thing I'm gonna do is start circling so I don't lose you because I'll fly out of range of your radio and you won't have me anymore. And he said, I'm gonna get Anchorage Emergency for you. And Anchorage Emergency will be the people that can maybe help you try to save your life. After about five minutes, Anchorage came on, said, we understand you have a passed out pilot. And those of you do not know how to fly that plane. We said, that's right. They said, well, the first thing we gotta do is find you. And I'll never forget what this man at Anchorage said. He said, my job is to get you home safe. He said, that's my job. But he said, here's the deal. If you want me to get you home safe, you gotta promise me you'll obey my voice. He said, you can't see me, but I can see you. And he said, if you're not gonna obey my voice, you're gonna die. When you can't see anything, you have no idea how disorientated you become. Finally, he said, okay, I found you. Now hear me clear. He said, you're four minutes from a mountain. He said, you're gonna crash in that mountain and die. Follow my voice. I never said, I have to follow your voice? Is that reasonable? You see, I understood without his voice, I had nothing. And do you understand? Without God's voice, you have nothing. Nothing. Finally, he got us turned. And he said, I'm freezing all the traffic in the area. 
He said, it's going to take me an hour and a half to get you to Anchorage, and there's a lot of weather between you and Anchorage. You're in for a rough ride. And he said, I want you to hear me. I don't want you to look at what's going on outside. I don't want you to pay attention to the storm, just my voice. He said, if you start watching the storm, you will die. But I'll take you through it. Now, because they cleared all the traffic, several pilots, those nighttime freighters, those 747s, started talking to us. They said, we're praying for you, men. You're going to make it. But listen to the voice. That's the key. They said, trust the voice. You realize your head is full of voices. And everybody in this world wants to talk to you. And everybody wants to be the controlling voice. And God says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. I want you to put yourself on the altar and let my voice be your voice. Finally, we went through the worst of the weather, but there was still more. And then the voice came back and it said, now, I'm going to line you up. He said, I'm going to bring you in right down the runway. And at the foot of the runway are some lights and they're in the form of a cross. He said, don't you forget this. The cross is the way home. Finally, he's bringing us down. We still can't see anything. And all he kept saying is, stay with me. My sheep, the Bible says, hear my voice and they follow me. Finally, just a couple hundred feet off the ground, we saw the cross. I landed the plane. In fact, I landed it seven times. Finally, it all came to a stop. And the minute we stopped, the pilot woke up. The voice said, thanks for listening. I watch them crash and burn all the time because they won't follow my voice. They don't understand I'm the one who can see them even when they can't see me. But they get the voices in their head and they kill themselves. They self-destruct. Thanks for listening to the voice. Then they put us in a motel room at about four in the morning. A knock at my door. And I opened the door and a man was standing there, he said, hello, David. I said, you're the voice. You're the one who got me home. He said, I am. Do you understand one day you're going to stand before him and say, you were the voice. You're the voice that brought me home. If you're not on that altar as a living sacrifice, your head's full of voices. And then we wonder why kids crash and burn. We wonder why marriages are shattered. And the Lord's saying, I'm the one who has the voice. All I can remember is that voice saying, stay with me. Stay with me. Don't listen to what's going on in your head and don't watch the storm. Stay with me. And I'll take you through. Tonight you have a God who has promised to take you through a living sacrifice holy. The day I heard this, I was here in the auditorium. My wife sent it to me. I told Stephen Poindexter that I locked myself in that closet over there. I was crying. I know tonight... We, a lot of times we're in a hurry and we always talk about 
um, stacking chairs 10 high, and it's important to us as maintenance. But I feel the Spirit of God just speaking to me all day about taking time to minister, just slowing down tonight and not being in a hurry to get home for Thursday night football. And I'd like everybody to bow your heads tonight. And I don't want to manipulate through emotion. But I know there's people in this room tonight that what he said there, what Scripture said here tonight, there's all kinds of voices in your head. It tells you you're not good enough, you can't make it, that you're not as good as the person next to you, that God could no way love me. But the Bible says that God gave his son. He gave the treasure of heaven. And I don't know who's struggling where you're at, we all got our struggles. Guys, in the past four years, this has been the darkest days of my life. But I want you to know, this voice will get us home. But you got to listen to this. Not the world. Not what the false preachers are preaching. But his word. Let's bow our heads and pray. And before we pray tonight, if you're struggling and you need prayer, you're not raising it to me. I want you to raise your hand in faith to God. Say, Rick, uh, I need prayer. Just keep it lifted. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Just keep, keep your, don't listen to that phone. Ignore that. I'd like some of the brothers to look around and see, the, keep your hands raised, guys. Don't be ashamed. See the guys whose hands are raised. I'd like some of you to go around them and lay your hands on them. And we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to give them hope and comfort. Keep your hands raised, you guys that need, need help. I don't know what dark times you're in. Come on, guys, get up and go to them, please. Some of the, some of the elders and pastors or uh, guys that used to be elders, please go to these guys that need prayer. You're still an elder. Father, as we bow our heads to pray tonight, and we thank you for the story, but most of all, we thank you for your word. The psalmist said, your word is a light unto my path. You told me that you are the light of the world. You said you are the way, the truth, and the life, and anyone that comes to you uh, can come to the Father. We want to get to the Father, Lord. And Lord, you know the struggles that every man, I got my hand raised tonight, there's darkness in my life. There's struggles in front of all of us. There's some of us that have lost loved ones or lost our wives. And it's been dark, dark days for us. I pray for them right now. I pray for the young men here. John said that the young men were strong in the Lord. We need young men to take the ministry in the next couple years. And those guys that are struggling here tonight, I pray for them, Lord, that they would be filled with the Spirit in psalms and hymns and study in your word. But Lord, most of all, I pray for every man in this place that we would follow this word, that we would put the word of God that Bruce challenges us to read Psalms 119 five times, but that we would read it a hundred times. And we'd even get it hidden in our hearts that we might not sin against you. We need you, Lord Jesus. You are our treasure. 
You are our portion. You're our great reward. There's nothing on this world that compares to you. And help us to quit seeking after that. And like David Gibbs said, to lay ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice, pleasable unto you. We give you all the praise and glory for your word and what happens here tonight. Thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to share your word. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.